Well, tonight I'm going to invite Glenn to come and, and to read for us. Uh, Glenn's going to come and read from Isaiah chapter 9. Reading from Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Our first reading came from the Old Testament, and it was from the book of Isaiah as we looked forward to the coming of Jesus. And now we're going to hear our second reading. It's taken from the New Testament, and I'm going to ask Sandra to come and to read it for us. Thanks, Sandra. The reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. This is the word of God. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Amen. Amen. 
the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place whilst Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to his hometown to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Amen. Thank you for helping me this evening. I'm going to invite now Rachel, uh, Rachel Craig, to come and to read another passage from Matthew chapter 2. Rachel. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Well, over these uh, weeks leading up to Christmas, we've been thinking here in Hill Street about uh, some of the characters or the participants in the Christmas story. We've already looked at uh, Mary and the, the shepherds and the angels. And tonight I want to think uh, with you for a few minutes about a character that we often pass quickly by in the Christmas story, but uh, one who is uh, very, very significant is the character of Herod. Herod's uh, actions and uh, his, uh, uh, the decisions he makes very much shape the lives of uh, Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus very significantly. And so the, the biblical writers, it seems, want us to consider him and, and learn from him. 
And so I hope we'll be able to do that for a few moments this evening. We're going to do that under this little title of uh, who will be king because Herod was the king and uh, Jesus came along and of course he was proclaimed to be uh, the king also. Who will be king? Now, now Herod is without question one of the bad guys in the Christmas story. If you're as old as me, you might remember the old cowboy movies that helped you understand which side people were on. You know the way you used to do that? The, the bad gang had the black cowboy hats, do you remember? And, and the white cowboy hats were given to the good gang. And so if you were trying to watch a complex chase, you could figure out who belonged to who. And it worked even on my old black and white television. So, so it was really very, very useful. And there's no doubt about it, Herod is a black hat guy as far as the Christmas story is concerned. We meet him in the story of the wise men, these mysterious magi who had journeyed from the east following a star, probably from Persia. They were familiar with the biblical prophecies uh, about the coming Messiah, and it seems they also believed that uh, momentous world events like the coming of the Messiah were reflected somehow in the movement of the stars, the, the, the uh, happenings of the heavens. And so when they saw some astronomical event, which we don't know exactly what it was, but they saw some astronomical event that they understood signified that Christ had come, and so they began the journey to Jerusalem. It seems that whatever they were following was not there all of the time. And so naturally, as they got to Jerusalem, they went to the place where they would expect a king to be born. They went to Herod's palace, and they asked, as we heard in verse 2, where is the one who is born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. That's what they asked Herod. Well, what about Herod? Who was Herod? He's a really major figure in world history at that time. And I think that's an important little point that we want to make, that these Christians don't believe that these are are myths that somehow shape our lives. We believe that these are real things that happen in space and time and history and that shape our, our lives. And uh, Herod is a major historical figure. His life intersects with Julius Caesar and Mark Antony and Cleopatra and Caesar Augustus. And there's much written about him in history, and, and some of his major construction works are still uh, there for us to see today. Some of you will have seen them. He was born in 73 BC, uh, or 73 BC in southern Palestine, and he had a long political career. So by the time that Jesus comes along, he's in his late 60s, early 70s. And during his lifetime, the whole Middle Eastern region saw great political turmoil. The, the Romans were gaining more and more power in the region. And for various reasons, they installed Herod as a sort of a puppet king. That's what they tended to do as they took over new lands. First of all, they installed him in the north of the country, and then eventually in Judea, in the south of the country. In many ways, he was a very capable ruler. He, he embarked on some great building projects. He, he built that great mountaintop fortress at Masada. He uh, developed the, the port of Caesarea. He built the, the massive extension to the Jerusalem temple. But he was also a dreadfully cruel ruler. And he became increasingly paranoid during his reign. He had his wife executed along with several members of her family. Some of his own children he had killed. Caesar Augustus is reported to have said it would be better to have been a, a Herod's pig than his son because you would have more chance of survival. 
And so by the time of Jesus' birth, his favor with Rome had sort of declined, and he was very, very sensitive to any threats to his rule. The other thing we should know about him is that he was not a, a true Jew. He was an Edomite, a people descended from the biblical character of Esau. And, and, and many Jews thought that although he followed Jewish practices, he had really no right to be king because of this sort of uh, questionable lineage. So perhaps you can imagine the scene then that we read in uh, Matthew chapter 2. Herod is an old and paranoid king who has schemed his way to power. He has held that power ruthlessly by quashing any challenges. And now these mysterious travelers come and say, we hear there's a new king in town. So no wonder it says that he was troubled. And of course, whenever he was troubled, all of Jerusalem was troubled with him because his anger was likely to lash out in any direction. So we read that the, he asks the religious leaders where the Messiah is to be born, and they, they answer without having to think about it all that much, it seems. Uh, Bethlehem is the answer because that's what some of the old prophecies about the Messiah said. Bethlehem's only a few miles from Jerusalem. It's, it's quite remarkable to think of this vulnerable infant Jesus uh, living just so close to the, the, the tyrant who, who wanted to wipe him out. And armed with this information, he sends the wise men off to find Jesus with instructions that when they do so, they should come back and report to, he, to, to him where he is, so that, as he says, he too may go to worship him. He has no plans to do that, of course. He wants to kill him, but that's what he says. And when he realizes that the wise men are not coming back, he orders a dreadful slaughter. We didn't read off it, but he, he orders that those male children in Bethlehem under two are to be put to the sword. Matthew goes on to tell us about that. It's a dreadful thing. You might have heard of it referred to as the slaughter of the innocents. Now, Jesus is not among them, however, because Joseph is warned in a dream to flee to Egypt. And this they do, and they stay there until Herod dies. We think that's maybe a couple of years or so. Well, that's, that's Herod's role in the Christmas story. It's a dreadful account but as we said, Matthew tells us about him in such a way that we would consider him and reflect and, and I suppose, think about ourselves. Let me draw your attention to two particular details that are clear from the story. First of all, Herod knew who Jesus was. Herod knew who Jesus was. When the wise men come, they, they ask after the one who has been born King of the Jews. And yet, whenever Herod asked the religious leaders the question, he says, where is the Christ to be born? Christ or Messiah means anointed one. It's a title that refers to the one that God had promised to send into the world to rescue, bless, and rule His people. And all of the Jews, Herod included, professed to be waiting for this one who would come from God. And he's born, Jesus is born king of the Jews. Herod, of course, was made king of the Jews. Jesus would be a rightful king. Herod was in some ways an imposter. And yet, knowing who he is, he determines to kill him. It's quite something, isn't it? To, to know that this one has been sent into the world by God's and yet to say, 
I want nothing to do him, with him, and not only that, to actually say, I want to eradicate him. It's an incredible animosity from Herod. So, he knows who Jesus is. The second thing we can see here is that he knows what he ought to do with Jesus. He says to the wise men, come and tell me where he is, so that I too may go and worship him. He knows that what the wise men are planning to do, worship him, is absolutely the right thing to do. If this is the Messiah, he is to be worshipped. He doesn't say, I'd really love to invite him to my palace to chat with him. He doesn't say, I want to learn from him. No, no. Matthew tells us about this because he wants us to understand that, that Herod got it, the right thing to do with Jesus. If he is the one who God has sent into the world, the right thing to do with Jesus is to respond to him in worship. And yet, knowing who Jesus is and knowing how he should respond, he chooses to say, absolutely not. I don't want to bow before him. Now, what's going on? One of the little books that we've been handing out to some folk within the congregation is a little book this year called A, a, a Christmas Uncut. It's by a chap called Carl Lafferton. And he, he talks about this, and he says, what is going on here is what he calls a turf war. It's a battle over who would really be king. Not so much king of Israel, but particularly king of Herod. Herod was saying, I know that there is one who has claim on my life, but I will not bow before him. I am the king of me. Remember we said that, that Herod uh, Matthew tells us about Herod so that we might hear about him and reflect on ourselves. And the truth is that this question that, that Herod faced, who will be king, is actually a question that we all face. Who will be king of me? Jesus' arrival means that we cannot escape this question. He has come into this world. He is the, the Son of God. We've been singing about that. And He is the King of kings. And the key issue for us us who, who tend naturally to want to be king of our own lives, the key issue for us is, is will we move over for him? Will we bow before him? Will we recognize him? Herod just wouldn't do that. He said, no way, I will not have him to rule over me. And so the question is, as we see how Herod responds to Jesus, what about us? What will we do? It's the enduring question of Christmas. There's lots about Christmas that comes and goes. We know that. And few weeks, we will take down all the decorations, and as we're clearing everything up, we'll say, won't we, well, that's it over for another year. You know how it is? And yet, there is something that endures about Christmas, and it is this question. The fact that Jesus has come into this world means that this question remains, who will be king? Who will be king of me? And that's, that's really, I think, the, the, the key issue for, for many people as they think about becoming Christians. So sometimes there are all sorts of things that, that we struggle with as we begin to feel that, 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 that we need to commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and we, we sometimes struggle over various aspects of that. Maybe there are things that we know. If, if, if Jesus is going to be king of me, I know that there are things that are going to have to change, and some of those things are going to be costly for me. And, and, and am I ready for that? 
Sometimes those are the things we think about. Sometimes it's our reputation. I, I know that there are people who are going to look down on me if I side with Jesus. Uh, and we, we struggle about our reputation. But I think that behind those sorts of things, there's a, an even deeper question. And that is, will we hand over control? Will we bow before this King Jesus? That's the question that Herod faced who will be king. Now, maybe some of us are, are listening and we're thinking, well, you know, I, I do see what Herod did, but do you know what? I'm really not like him. Look how angry he got with Jesus. I'm not angry at Jesus. I, I just want to go my own way and, and, and let Jesus do his thing and I'll do mine, that sort of thing. L let me suggest to you that that doesn't really leave us in a, in a better position. Here's an illustration that might help us with that. I don't know if you've seen that, that many of the major cities in GB are establishing these ultra-low emission zones, and they're putting up these ultra-low emission zone cameras. I'm sure it will come to Lurgan very, very soon. <laughs> but, but we were in, in, in Scotland and England during the summer, and we came across a few cities that had done this. And as the driver of a nine-year-old diesel, this is particularly relevant to me, and uh, I took notice as to where these zones started and where they ended and all the rest of it. But perhaps you've seen that, that some people have been incredibly cross about this. They've been cutting these cameras down or painting the lenses black or whatever it might be, this incredibly strong reaction. But let's say, for example, that, that you live close to one of these zones, you drove in and out of it every day, and, and you didn't have that sort of strong reaction against the cameras, but you just decided to say, do you know what? I'm just going to ignore those cameras. I'm going to park legally. I'm not going to exceed the speed limit. But, but I'm just going to ignore those cameras. How do you think you would fare? Well, I'd want to suggest to you that it won't be long before the fine will drop through your letterbox. Because no matter how we feel about them, if we're in those areas, we are, in that sense, accountable to them. And in lots of ways, it's really the same with the Lord Jesus Christ whether we react angrily against him as Jesus, as, as Herod did, or, as we, or if we tr quietly try to ignore him, it doesn't change the fact that we are accountable to him. Herod found that out very, very clearly. He, he had tried to be in control of all aspects of his life, but he found that actually God was the one who was in control. He was moving his son out of harm's way. He was also setting the time when Herod's life would come to an end. Carl Lafferton asked the question. He, he sort of speculates and says, I wonder what it was like when Herod stood before Almighty God. What sort of things do we imagine that God would have said to him? Is there anything that Herod could have said to answer before Almighty God? I don't think there is. And we must know that, that that's true for us too. Whether we've been angry at Jesus or whether we're simply just trying to get through life ignoring Him, we are accountable to Him. And so Herod appears in this Christmas story to say to us, this Lord Jesus has arrived and He cannot be ignored. He lays claim on, on me and on you, whether you're a king or a carpenter. And of course, Herod demonstrates for us 
a response that we really must avoid. There is, of course, an example for us to follow here. It goes back to those wise men who turned up at his palace. They came in order to worship. It's really interesting when you read the story that it goes on to say that they, they offered him gifts. They, they, they didn't give the, the gifts to Mary and Joseph. You know how it is if you turn up to a house with a, a new baby in it, you've got your little pack of baby grows. You know, you don't usually give them to the little kids. You give them to mom and dad, and you say, well, they'll, they'll grow into them. But no, in this story, they offer the gifts to Jesus because Matthew's making it clear. This Lord Jesus, He deserves our, our everything. There's an old uh, carol that we sometimes sing. It has this verse, what can I give Him poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give Him, give my heart. We talk about that sometimes, giving our hearts to Jesus. It's a, maybe an odd phrase. It's just a way of saying, Lord, I am turning to You. I don't want to live anymore in rebellion against You or living ignoring You. I realize that You are the King, and now I believe that You're my King. You are the king of me. It's just great that you're able to be here tonight. May God bless you this Christmas. And may we together know the joy, really the joy of just like these wise men, falling down before this Jesus and worshiping Him because He is the real King.